Let me make a statement to you, a statement that I'll make right off the bat here. And you can respond to it, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to reinforce it afterwards. Before we can have a desire for something, we must have a vision of it. Now think about that for just a moment. I mean, think of it this way. Okay, let's say, for example, that you're, you've decided, you know, I'd like to go out to eat tonight. And there's someone else in your house that you're going to say, I want to go out to eat. And that you say to that person, you say, I'd like to go out to eat tonight. And she says, okay. And then you say, where do you want to go? And she says, anywhere you want to go. Let me tell you something. What I want you to do, uh, if, you know, if you're in this position, I want you to immediately drive to Taco Bell. Because I want you to see what happens when you get there. Because, I mean, unless it's one of those times when she really wants that Taco Bell already, she's probably going to say, what are we doing here? And you're going to say, well, you said anywhere I wanted to go. And she'll say, really, did you think that I wanted to go here? You understand what I'm trying to say to you? You know, you see, you have to have a definition or you're about to waste your time driving around. You need to know where you're going to get what you're going to get or else you'll just spend a lot of money on gasoline driving around. So it is better, believe it or not, it is better to be able to put a vision in their head before you ever go out. For example, if you said something along the lines of, you know what I'm really craving? I'm really craving a nice, juicy steak with a big baked potato on the side. You know, and and I want so much butter on it that they had to back the butter truck up and just pour it on top of the thing. And I want a big piece of Texas toast. And afterwards, I want a piece of apple pie with just one dollop kind of on a, with ice cream on top. What do you think? You see, when you create a vision beforehand, you can go get the car keys. Because you know what will happen? You go to that place that they're going to be able to serve that to you. And if that place is either too crowded or whatever, you'll still have to go get that same thing. You just have to go to a different restaurant because what you've done is you've created, have you ever heard these words? I have a taste for that already. I already have the taste for it in my mouth. That's the vision that is there. But I believe, I believe that Christians have generally no vision of what the Christian life should be about. What what has happened to so many Christians is, is that they have... They have treated their Christian life like a, like a hobby that they do on Sunday mornings. And then they don't have to deal with it for the rest of the week. And therefore, you know, you can miss church next week because it wasn't that important for the rest of the week. You can miss your quiet time. You can miss your discipleship class. Even if the slightest distraction occurs. You know, but if you have a vision, a vision of your of what the Christian life was like or is like, then there's a difference in your life. You know, Jesus gave the woman of the well a vision. 
It says in John chapter 4 verse 13, says Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now what did Jesus do in this woman? He gave her a vision that says, I don't have to come out here to get this water anymore like I've been coming out to get this water because I come out here and the rest of the women, they give me a, they deride me from my lifestyle. And I don't want to be lugging this water out here anymore. I want to know about this living water that I can have. And so she got a vision of something that she could have and she was all about it. She was all about it. So let me see if I can give you a vision of the Christian life that you would desire. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I'm going to ask you folks, there's got to be some people in this room that are, have labored and they're heavy laden right now. You've got pressures that are upon you, pressures within your life, pressures within your friend's life, pressures within your family's life, and you've got those pressures that are on your life right now, and you're saying, I'd like to get rid of those things. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Now think about that, folks. Would you like to have some easiness when you've had such a heavy burden? Have you, would you like to have some lightness in your life? So this yoke is easy and this burden is light. And the world has none of this. And unfortunately, we have to live in the world. But we don't have to be of the world. Last week, I spoke of carefully living the Christian life. This week, I'd like to talk to you about why we need to live this life. The result is a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. So I'd like to take 1 Peter chapter 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without a blemish or a spot. See, now, he started out with knowing, this word knowing, and I I wanted to get into this. The reason for living the Christian life is found in what we know. It is found in what we should know. You see, we need to know It is not what we know all the time. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? This word is put in called the perfect tense. This word knowing is put in the perfect tense. And in the perfect tense, it means that it's something that has happened in the past, but has continuing results. And when somebody says this word knowing like this, what they are actually saying is, you already know this, but you don't know this. You know the difference? You see, one is is that you know it, but you need to be reminded of it, don't you? You need to be reminded of it. See, give me an example. I know that God is everywhere all the time. You recognize that? 
But are there some times that I need to recognize that God is here? You understand what I'm telling you? You know that God is everywhere all the time. But sometimes I just need to be able to recognize that he is here right now. That would be putting it in the perfect tense. So you would come back and say, yes, I realize it right now. And so that the person who walks away from the Lord knows that the Lord is good, but he doesn't realize it. Do you understand what I'm saying? person has walked with the Lord, been with the Lord, served the Lord, maybe possibly, you know, worship the Lord and realize, you know, I knew the Lord was good. But when they walk away from the Lord, they seem to have forgotten about their life with Christ and they've forgotten it. The prodigal son, he always knew that he could go home, but he didn't realize it. You realize what happened to him? I mean, he always knew that his father would take him back at least as a servant. And finally, he had to get into that pig pen until it was so bad that he said, you know what, I'd be better off. I went home and I was my, I was my father's servant than to do what I'm doing right now. And he realized it. He always knew it. You see, I don't need to tell you something sometimes that you already know, but you do need to realize it. When I tell people that God loves them, I've never had somebody come up to me and say, I didn't know that. You know what they say to me? Thank you for reminding me of that. Because they know that God loves them. See, you can know that your life is a mess, but you need to know that this is not the life that God has intended for you. See, you should know whether you're walking with him or you're not every day. And sometimes you need to be reminded where you are with him. What does Peter say we should know? We know that we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We know that we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But do we know what we were redeemed from? Now, the English Standard Version translated that word ransomed. And that gives you the picture of somebody who's been kidnapped. You see, we belonged to God, but we've been taken away. We were taken away. And so, and I think that a lot of people would say, you know what? That means the devil had us. The devil came and got us. I want to tell you something, folks. The devil doesn't need my help for me to sin. And we recognize that. I can do it all on my own and I don't need any of his help. You know, I think that a lot of people want to say, well, the devil made me do it. Well, honestly, the truth is, is that sometimes we just did it. We just did it on our own. And we did it because we were worshiping things when uh, other things of the world, when we were ransomed from them. See, we know that we are no longer led by our former way of living, as Peter has written here. Now, he's generally writing to some Gentile Christians. Of course, there's going to be some Jews that must be mixed into this mix. And like us... They would worship idols. And you're saying, but I don't have any idols in my house. Oh, I bet you do. I bet you we have the idols of our own physical pleasures. I bet we have the idols of our own possessions. Some of those things that are around our house that we, will, we, we esteem in a way that they shouldn't be esteemed. I believe that we have an idol around our house that sometimes is simply a mirror. And we think we really look good and everybody ought to tell us how good we look. 
It can be as simple as that. And we have idols in our houses. But you were redeemed from living the way of the world. The scripture says that it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that is from the world. And none of these things are wrong in themselves. They're only when they get out of kilter, when they get out of the parameters. For example, physical pleasures are not wrong, but they're only wrong when they're placed un, uh, outside of the confines or outside of the parameters that God has, has given them to us. Possessions are not wrong, but they're, they're wrong when there's not a measure of generosity which should accompany them. Pride is not wrong. You should have pride in your work. You should have pride in your grandchildren or your children. But pride is wrong when it lords itself over other people. See, you were redeemed from these things because they had control over you. And they are the ones that are putting pressures on you. They are not making your burden light. They're making your burden heavy, heavy. And you walk along with these things that, you know, I think that so many people, they have these memory patterns and they say, oh, I was happy at this point. And they really think that if they go back to the things of the world, they say, I was happy when I had a lot of money. I was happy when I had, you know, all these physical pleasure. I was happy when everybody was applauding me. And I was, I was happy in that sort of thing. And when they realize is, is that you never get enough of that stuff. And it becomes a burden to have an encore. I want to do that again. I want to have more than what I had before. And then it reveals that in our lives when we we go back to that stuff that we really didn't love God with all of our hearts and our souls and our minds. And then there's a guilt within us. And they cause that guilt to be within us. And and we either have to ignore God in every way that we can ignore God, which means we don't want to go near church or the Bible or, or even other Christians. We want to get away from all of that stuff. And we'll stay away from all of that stuff. Or we realize, we realize in this guilt, we need to come home. And you see, that's why the Bible tells us we need to have a transformed mind. We need to have a transformed mind. We've got to, it's not that you, you know, here's the thing, folks. You cannot resist those things enough. You have to replace those things with something else. And we will never have the strength to merely suppress the desires of the world. You will never have enough strength to do that. There must be a redirection of the mind and it must replace those desires so that the trained mind will avoid the traps that the world has set for us. Now, think a new way. Think on this scripture. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You need to have a new way of thinking in your life. When I was working on my doctoral project, I found, I don't know what this thing is. I don't know if it's a poem, not really a poem. It's not a haiku either. I don't know what it is. But it's called Life in Five Chapters. It's by a lady named Portia Nelson. It goes this way. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. 
It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe that I'm in the same place, but it is my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's, it's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4. Walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. I walk down another street. You see, what we need to do is walk down another street. You understand what I'm saying? We need to walk down another street. You don't, you don't simply say, I'm going to resist it. I'm just going to try to stay away from it. You say, I'm going to think on something else. I'm going to go down another street. For we know that the ways of the world are futile. We know that the ways of the world will not satisfy it. And I know that a lot of people are making these excuses. Is we just didn't get enough of the ways of the world. That's, what it, that's the trap. That's what pulls us in. It is like a drug that says, you know what? You can't get that high until you get more of this stuff. And then you've got to get more of this stuff. And then you've got to get more of this stuff. You know, I went through the uh, lives or deaths, really, of celebrities who died this past year. I found that... Some of them, not several, but some of them committed suicide. If the world satisfies because you get so much as these people have had, why did these people commit suicide? And while I, I know that there's going to be somebody out there who says, but, but some Christians commit suicide too. Yes, they do. But are these the Christians that are walking with God? Or are these the Christians that are walking in the world? They still have the burden on them. They're still walking around as if they just can't take another step. This seems to be the addiction of our species. We just can't seem to get enough of the drugs of pleasure or money or pride. And futility is trusting, working hard for, selling out to, being assured of something that will not deliver. That will not deliver. See, these people... And many of these people that, maybe some in this room, have decided that you wanted to take a voyage across the Atlantic Ocean. And you booked yourself in first class. And so you're in first class and you think that the luxury will give you all that you have wanted on this earth. So you drink the wine, they eat the caviar, and they indulge in those rich desserts. Meanwhile, they have never looked to see the name of the boat that they're on. They've been told it is unsinkable. They've been told it is perfectly safe. Yet the name of that boat is Titanic. Understand, folks. Soon their well-fed, pampered bodies will be at the bottom of the ocean. And I'll bet you that they would say, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. Understand, that's what's going on in the world today. We know that we weren't redeemed with silver or gold. This is the small coins that were used to buy the slave out of slavery. Maybe you didn't realize that you were a slave to your own desires. Maybe you were like 
you just thought, I'm just like everyone else, and you were, you were. But you were living in a slave camp. You see, you could not have been bought out of slavery by silver or gold. Isaiah 52, 3 says, For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. You were sold for nothing. See, you willingly walked into the slavery of this world, and you were like those children that followed the Pied Piper of Hamlin, marched along behind him until they're let off of a cliff. And so there was a ransom that was paid for you. And many people think that the ransom was paid to the devil. But if that was the devil, then the devil's in charge. No, the ransom is paid to God the Father to redeem you. Not because he had some morbid desire to have his son tortured and killed on a cross. No, but because that was the price, the only price that would wash away your sins. Justice demanded this price, and God is perfectly just. He could do nothing else, nothing else to have you in his presence. If he could, when Jesus prayed in the garden, he would have done something different. If there was any other way. So it was the sacrifice made without a blemish or spot. The lamb that would be ransomed by God or examined by God and found to be perfect. It was the incorruptible payment that will never fade away. I don't know about you, but I I do my taxes every year. Some of you probably take them somewhere. But have you noticed that the receipts that you have kept, they fade? Have you noticed, I mean, in my own looking at receipts, I've got receipts that I can't tell if there was ever anything on those receipts. They have absolutely just faded away. They're gone. I'm going, man, you get audited with this. I've just taken a bunch of blank receipts. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? Because they, they, they've all faded away. And I can't even read them. And But here's the situation. It's good that... My redemption was paid for me, and it is kept in heaven where it cannot fade away. Never fade away. So we know these things, folks. Everything I told you this morning, you already know. We know that we can take Jesus' yoke and his burdens. We know they are easy and light. I will tell you, but it's not what... We know it's our fear of letting go of those things of the world and saying, I'm not going to think about those things anymore. I'm going to turn completely to Jesus. But I think that some people would rather live in the prison they know than to be freed into a life that they don't. Understand, this is the life you could have of easy and light. And what you choose is the burdens of this world. Don't do that. Don't do that. Pray with me, please.